I'm Fathery. This is Dave. I'm Chris. This is Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back to the Starship Texas, where the 71st installment of the Tex Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we talk all about Star Trek, old and new. And tonight, Dave and I are joined by Brian, and we also have our guest, Chris, who's back for the first time in a long time. He, he long talked time. Uh, the Star Trek Enterprise premiere episode, Broken Bow, with us. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, when we, yeah. When we were counting down, the, counting down the, the premiere episodes, getting ready for Discovery. Yeah, Did you watch Discovery? Not... <laughs> How'd that Discovery show turn out? No, I'm it, teasing. It bombed. Oh, that's okay. Well, it's not on TV, so I couldn't find it. It got canceled before it, it made it to the to the air, like uh, <laughs> some people predicted on the internet. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about it, but it's just people talking about fanfic. Um, oh, okay. Actually, some people do approach it as if it's that, but <laughs> they're cranky pants. But uh, tonight we're actually talking about uh, not recent Trek. <coughs> we're talking about uh, a movie from 35 years ago. 1983? 1984. 84. Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Mm-hmm. But Dave needs a search for a calculator because he can't do simple math. <laughs> no. well, Are you sure it's not 83? <laughs> I'm positive it's 84. Right. 80, yeah. 1984, the best year for movies ever, actually. <clears throat> like, uh, that, that is the, the single best year of movies of all time. Is yeah. 1984. That had Beverly Hills Cop, that had The Karate Kid, that had um, Ghostbusters... I think I prefer Eight, 82, a, but this well, is kind of a, drifting off topic. That's a, that's a valid <laughs> argument. But yeah, this this movie was, of course, the the sequel to the ever popular, highly acclaimed Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Right. So big shoes to fill. Uh, Wrath of Khan was uh, beloved in its own time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, big critical success of the Star Trek franchise early on in the movies, and uh, Nicholas Meyer did not want to return to write or direct because he didn't want to deal with the resurrection of Spock. He said, like, no, I killed that character. They don't want to do a movie about him coming to life. So, But they had already convinced him to sneak in the <laughs> scenes that set it up in Trek 2. Well, no, that was done against his will, as we talked about last week. I thought that, but, that he acquiesced, I guess, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, like, after the success of it in the theater or something. <laughs> okay, oh, yeah. all right, I guess. It they threw some money but, out of yeah, it. Yeah. And probably, no. But no, instead, with Star Trek Three, it was directed by Leonard Nimoy, who said that he had been wanting to direct for a long time, and we know that they were so worried about him coming back for Star Trek Two that they, they wrote the death of his character in hopes to, like, get him in one last time. 
And then, and then uh, um, I guess he enjoyed the ride so much. Well, the the way that Nimoy approached it was he said, I'll do it if you let me direct. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if it was Nimoy or Nicholas Meyer himself, but in a, an interview with one of them, I remember them telling the story of uh, Leonard Nimoy was talking to Nicholas Meyer and he said, you know, I, I want to direct the movie. I'm going to tell them I, I'm, I'm not going to do it unless they let me direct. And Nicholas Meyer asked Nimoy, oh, are you serious? Are you really going to like... Like, stick to your guns on that? And Nimoy is like, like, yeah, I think so. And then Nicholas Meyer's like, yeah, they'll give it to you. They'll cave. Do it. (laughs) So, um... And just the idea of Nimoy getting advice from Nicholas Myers when you remember how young Myers was at that point, it's just... Well, that just shows how much respect they all had for Nicholas Meyer. Yes, yes, they clearly liked him. Uh, Nimoy was the first actor in the series to become a director? Yes, although it was supposed to be Shatner... In season three of the original series, Shatner was supposed to start directing, and in fact, the next episode they were going to shoot after Turnabout Intruder would have been the first directed by Shatner, but the show got canceled, and they they stopped season three a little short, Oh, and so Shatner never had to direct his episode. I can see that, well, season three is a lost cause. Sure, let Shatner direct something. How bad can Although, it be? He, <laughs> so hold, an hold that thought. <laughs> he hung on to that season three worthy plot for years, yeah. waiting then, for a chance to use it. Two, two decades later, he did get a shot to go from the captain's chair to the director's chair. Yes. Why, but, in just a few weeks, I'm sure we'll be talking yeah, about so, it. Yeah, so yes. stick around in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about that little <laughs> gem of a, of a movie. But uh, in the meantime, the the search for Spock uh, was uh, written by Harv Bennett, who uh, pretty much shepherded the the Star Trek franchise through movies two through five, and uh, I I really enjoy this movie. Um, I, it's often kind of uh, frowned upon as one of like the sucky odd number movies. You know, there's that that rule like the evens are good, the odds are bad. But yeah. That's kind there's, of a bit of a, to be fair, that's a sort of cheap criticism. It's, uh, it's funny kind of, but there's, I, I, I've never put too much stock in that. Um, but yeah, it's included in the, for, for, you know, there, there's some broad truth to it, I guess. I mean, it's hard to look good when you're sandwiched between Star Trek 2 and Star Trek 4. Mm. But, um, did you say, uh, uh, at some point that you, you feel you like it more than Trek 2? Uh, I, I, I think I do like it more. I don't think it's as good, but I do like it more. Whoa! But, but okay. We'll, we'll get in. We'll get into why. You sickened me. And, and all <laughs> yeah. the details. Uh, but I, I just, I'm just gonna run us through like a, a quick uh, transwarp summary all right. of the movie. Let's just hope Scotty doesn't gum it up. So we open in the aftermath, or should I say, after Wrath of Khan. Oh. Spock is dead. Kirk is sad. And the battle-damaged Enterprise is limping home to Earth. The instant planet created by the Genesis device at the end of Star Trek II is being studied by Kirk's son David Marcus and Savick on board the USS Grissom. But after the crew reach Earth, they learn that Spock might not be as dead as we thought. Some security footage from the Enterprise engine room reveals that Spock mind-melded with an unconscious Dr. McCoy before sacrificing himself to repair the ship. That mind meld transferred Spock's Katra, what the Vulcans call everything that is not of the body. 
But basically, all of Spock's mind, memories, and essence, his soul, if you will, the good doctor, becomes a bit of a Spock-Bones hybrid and is sent away to what's called the Federation Funny Farm. I think not officially, but... Back on Planet Genesis, Savick and David find a resurrected Spock. His corpse was transformed by the Genesis Matrix into a living, breathing Vulcan child who is aging rapidly. In a desperate attempt to fix both Spock and McCoy, Kirk and the crew steal the Enterprise from Starfleet and haul ass to the Genesis planet. Unfortunately, the Klingon Krug also has plans for Genesis. He also shows up at Planet Genesis and aims to learn the secrets of the Genesis technology to use as a weapon. His Klingon shenanigans lead to the destruction of the Grissom, <laughs> the murder of David, and the sacrifice of the Enterprise herself. Kirk is able to defeat Krug in an epic, old-school, TOS-style, hand-to-hand combat smackdown. And he defeats him just in time as the planet ends up falling apart. The Genesis Matrix is unstable. Turns out it doesn't even work. But Kirk escapes on the Klingon ship with Spock's living body, which conveniently has stopped aging now that he looks like Leonard Nimoy. (laughs) Spock's mind is a total blank, though. Bone still has all of Spock's marbles in his head. The crew warp over to Planet Vulcan, where a mystic ceremony is performed and transfers all of Spock's Katra from Dr. McCoy into the new Spock body. Spock is resurrected, the crew celebrates, and the adventure continues. So, this movie opens up with the, the flashback. Mm-hmm. of Spock's mm. sacrifice in the the Wrath of Khan and then his little funeral ceremony. So so one thing that I, I often don't bring up when I talk about like my introduction to these movies is I uh, watched Star Trek 2, Star Trek 3, and Star Trek 4 all on um, like the same weekend. Oh, interesting. But the first... I put in the wrong VHS tape first, so the first thing I actually saw was like oh, the no. Spock death in the beginning <laughs> of like Star Trek 3. Little father, I wasn't too bright. <laughs> well, no, what had happened was someone else had rented these movies that I, I rented, and they'd actually put the... They must have got two and three both. They, the cases they, they were, were swapped. swapped in the cases. Oh, man. But I had conveniently rented both of them, so I still had both of them. Right. So I figured out what was going on when I saw the Klingons, because I knew, I knew Klingons were in the third movie from, like, the VHS cases. Yeah. Yeah. So then I, I re- rewound it and put Star Trek two in and watched that. Okay. That is a that is a rough uh, introduction, uh, unfortunately. Uh, that doesn't. That I, wasn't I didn't, I didn't mind. Travel. I still I still had a good time. I still, yeah. I still liked watching them. But you know, the first time I saw Spock die was actually in the opening of Star Trek. There's slightly abbreviated flashback to but, it. When uh, my first exposure was, I'd see actually seen one a bunch of times before I became a Star Trek fan as a kid, and I'd seen two once. And then, then I became a Star Trek fan. Started watching the old '60s series show uh, on reruns after Doctor Who on Saturdays, and I'd watched I don't know ten or eleven of them. I was really getting into it, and I went over to a friend's house, and he'd just gotten Star Trek Three on VHS for his birthday that day. It was his birthday party, so we put put that in, and we watched it, and just the idea that Kirk had a son was shocking and yeah. then the, the son died and i felt so bad Interesting, shatner's yeah. totally sold it for this middle school student that, that was me watching i was like oh my god and then they blew up the enterprise and like oh my god and i was just traumatized everyone else was laughing and happy and eating cake and i was like 
<laughs> yeah. Right, the emotional <laughs> impact hit you. Honestly, yeah. I was like, I was for days, I was like, just kind of <laughs> couldn't stop thinking about the, the death of David and the destruction of the Enterprise. And I'd just gotten into Star Trek like a, a few months early in the last right. six months. So it was So that's really, like TOS Star Trek? Yeah, TOS Star right. Trek, right? Where, really where almost the status quo almost never changes. Yeah. So the, yeah. The, the, the movie stuff had that big impact that, well, they wanted it to. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that really... And to this day, I still feel incredible sadness, and mm-hmm. and and it, that's just kind of etched into this movie for me when when David dies, and I still think that Kirk's reaction when David when he finds out David oh. is dead and all of that is still one of my all time favorite yeah. mm-hmm. mo- Shatner moments. Oh. Chris, do you remember your first encounter with this movie? No idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I I remember going to see Star Trek Four in the theaters, but Star Trek Three, I probably. It, I probably rented it. I think I remember... I think I did see it before Star Trek 2 as well. But <laughs> oh, wow. I was so little that I it didn't really have the impact. I was kind of more just like, wait, what? Right. Yeah, so... Uh, You're in space? Yeah, <laughs> this is crazy. Now, no, I, 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 I do remember watching it, though. And as a kid, the scenes that stood out were not the, you know, the scenes that would like... I, I think one of the main scenes I remember as a kid... Um, in Star Trek 2, it was the, uh, the earwigs... Yeah. In Star Trek 3, it was the, the little... Parasites. The parasite thing. And, uh, well, of course, Star Trek 4, it was whales. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, there's the Next Generation episode called Conspiracy that if, if you're into the into the Trek creepy crawlies, you're, you're really going to dig. <laughs> yeah. Conspiracy. Okay, I'll keep that. Now, I will point out this. So Spock dies in the second movie. Right. And he gets his whole movie searching for him. David dies in this movie... They don't really do anything for him. Well, it's very Kirk, sad. Kirk says uh, goodbye, David, as the, as they leave. Yeah, the they, Genesis. They don't loosens. go back in time. They yeah. don't try to like transfer his Katra. Okay, I know he's not. Doesn't have on. a Katra. They only go back in time a, to fix the present, not the past. Yeah. Kirk found out about the proto matter thing, and he was like, <coughs> eh. "Yeah, eh. I, I will say, uh, I don't want to be. I, I can't believe my well, son would actually cheat." You know, it was, right. that was shocking. Coming to him. from the ultimate shooter, yeah, yeah. It, it, it would not come. It would not be one of the text tracks movie reviews without us bringing up the novelization of the film. And I will say, the novelization of three and four spends a lot more time dealing with the fallout of David, and even six. The novelization of six gets into it to some degree as well. Well, and I will say though that his response when he died, yes, I, obviously I'm making kind of light of it here. Was it was pretty powerful? Yeah, I'm just yeah, saying there are yeah. other scenes where yeah. they grapple with this particular mm-hmm. issue. So if you, yeah. well, uh, I do get by, by the way on a practical level, he was effect- effectively a guest star in the movies, and Spock yeah. was the venerable favorite from the original series. So yeah, that's you get that if you're if you if you're locked in like that if you're a main player. Dave, please tell me that uh, one of us saw the. Star Trek movies in the correct order. I, I oh, yeah. believe you saw two and three both in I, theaters. I think technically, I just wasn't a Star Trek fan until the third one, so I didn't well, really know what those other movies were. <laughs> yeah, I saw it in the theater in the correct order. Right. <laughs> Yay! Um, the, but, uh, but here's the other part of that question. Do yeah. you remember your, your uh, first time watching this? I, I don't have a, the precise memories of this that I do of uh, Trek 2, uh, but I do remember I was like really, really hyped for it, and I really loved 3 when I saw it. And I think at the time I might have liked it more than two, uh, because of its kind of more, uh, despite the the sad things that happened, it had kind of had a more adventuresome <clears throat> angle. And and it occurred to me that in, in a lot of ways it's the first Trek movie where they really take all the supporting crew and everybody, and they're really treated as a family. 
Uh, like, yeah. like that's become such a common way to lens them. But uh, even in two, it's the the core trio are for sure treated that way. Mm-hmm. But never, never did it feel yeah. so strongly with including all the uh, Scotty yeah. and Uhura and Chekhov and everybody else. Yeah, you couldn't. Mm-hmm. In Star Trek Two, if a bunch of those actors had decided not to come back for whatever reason, it wouldn't have changed the script hardly a beat. Right. Star Trek Three, if Nichelle Nichols hadn't come back, that whole Mister Adventure scene would not <laughs> be there. If and 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 you can say that Sulu helping to break out McCoy and flipping that guy and Don't Call Me Tiny would Don't not be there if George right. Takei hadn't signed right. up. And I'm pretty sure that I mean that scenes like that are what made made people want you know George Takei to have his own ship and gave him started to really get him on that road to. Uh, to being a real, you know, kind of a notable uh, Trek character in his own right. I get. I mean, I think the fans have been reading novels about them for years yeah. by this point and had already bought into this idea. But it was the first time that idea made it onto the screen, mm-hmm. I think. At least in the movies. Uh, and I think I was also really excited to see Klingons, to be honest. They, they, um, they were so... Uh, it, it felt like an update of the, you know, tough but guileful... Klingons of the show. So this movie did more than than anything else, really, to to define everything Klingon after this. Yeah, and I think a lot of credit has to go to Leonard Nimoy, who had tremendous influence on creating uh, what we how we think of Vulcans. Uh, he came up with a lot of the specific things, like the the mind meld. I think the Vulcan nerve pinch was definitely mm-hmm. his idea. Uh, I think the script called for a like a karate chop. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and Spock, very successful. Nimoy thought Spock would do something a little bit uh, understated, less, less or, crude. yeah, less overt. Um, and the the Vulcan hand jive came from Nimoy. I think even like Live Long and Prosper was actually mm-hmm. Nimoy's. Wow. So so this guy had tremendous influence on shaping the Vulcans as well as the Klingons in this movie he directed. Uh, undeniably, the two most iconic alien races of Star Trek. Uh, two, two of the most iconic alien races in all science fiction. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, another one of those ones where even people who don't know Trek, there's a reasonable chance they know about Vulcans and Klingons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone's heard of those. Yeah. Uh, but um, the the first act of this movie, I guess, there's really three different storylines going on. We have uh, the, the Klingons. We have Savik and David. Yep. And then we have Kirk and company back at Space Dock and back at Earth. Um, so we, we can we can talk about all three of those. But uh, there's, yeah, there's like Klingon evil uh, exploration and a heist story. <laughs> yeah, and then they all kind of like dovetail together yeah. half, halfway through the movie. But uh, let's let's just start off with uh, Kirk and the crew. You know, on the Enterprise when they make their return trip. Actually, just to rewind for just one second, the flashbacks to Trek Two. Uh, I thought, like, it immediately kind of grounds the movie in a kind of an emotional quality. And it sets up the scene that you're about to talk about, which is their arrival in Space Dock, yeah, which well, has before this... Before that, before that, when we we have Kirk's log entry. Right. And it mm-hmm. does, yes, that, that uh, long sequence from the flashbacks to um, Kirk's log entry does set a very somber tone for the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although, I do have to say, when you watch this back-to-back with the Rathacon now... It is a little bit distracting how some things on the set look a little different, and I think we're talking about like the changed ship damage and stuff. Yeah, like, that. like there's there's some of the some of the consoles, some of the the turbo lift controls are a little different, and um, Shatner does not have as good of a girdle in this movie. As he, <laughs> he he looks a little little plumper in the in the maroon monster here than he did in the Wrath of Khan. 
Uh, I have to just quick ask, Chris, are you aware of the term maroon monster? I am not aware of the term maroon monster. Father always uses it. It is the ter- the a colloquial term for the the red uniforms of these oh, okay. movies. Yeah, of the, of the TOS movies. Yep. Um, another weird thing is that Uhura suddenly has jerry curls after Spock's funeral. Like, uh-huh. like she went you to... You can change. She change. went to the funeral. The and Genesis it, plan and revived her hair, too. It gave her some curl activator <laughs> and a perm. <laughs> yes. but, That's a little known side effect. It's in the book. I'm sure it's in the book. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in spite of all that, I love the opening of this movie. And yes. I, I love the stuff with, uh, with McCoy in Spock's quarters. So, so just, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this more as we go along, but I feel like DeForest Kelly gets to do some really great work in this yes. one. Yes, um, And, and uh, I think somebody pointed this out in, in like, a, a tweet to, uh, the, in our questions to just uh, to see what people thought about this, that with Spock somewhat out of the picture for much of the movie, it gave, you know, he had that opportunity then to kind of take up the slack. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, as a partial Spock sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that scene where uh, Kirk goes into the... In, into Spock's quarters. I I don't know if did they actually use Leonard Nimoy's voice or was it just DeForest was Kelly imitating him? Imitating him because it it really sounded like Spock to me. Um, but maybe I don't know. I think it created they, they, well, however they did it, it created the exact kind of slightly dreamlike atmosphere that yeah. I think they wanted the audience to have, which is like you're where Kirk is, where it's like for a split second you're like wait. Is Spock somehow already there? And you're like, yeah. and, and it's so you, you get the drama of, of his exact reaction. I used to like the idea that McCoy can rip the doors open on Spock's lock, <laughs> the locked doors on Spock's quarters. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, okay, he is a doctor, but he is also a, a Jaws oh, of Life. D- doctors, <laughs> doctors probably have a security code that can open No, no, but if you look at the door, when they go in, it's been, it's like, it's not even quite lined up that... right. It's like opened like this. You know, there's the, I think it's, it's, it's been yanked open. I think it's more urban legend than anything but that uh, the moms lifting cars off their kids because of adrenaline he got some vulcan adrenaline going and then we we do get the ship back to space dock and this is part of what i really enjoy about this movie is that they're able to spend a little bit more money than the wrath of khan they had a little bit of a bigger budget in this this one Mm -hmm. so we got uh some incredible models like space dock and the excelsior Mm. and uh stuff that the later movies would all use I was enamored of the Excelsior as a kid. Yeah. To me, it was I, I wanted it to go ahead and them to graduate and to get that ship. I yeah. think that was it, it, that was from what I understand loosely. The idea when they blew up the Enterprise was to foreshadow there's this other ship we can get in the next movie, and we're going to kind of lay the groundwork for that, so that there's something there. I think that was actually a, the the plan, because <laughs> otherwise then, the whole Excelsior thing really doesn't seem to have a lot of. Did they <laughs> did they uh, decide not to uh, because like uh, you know everybody kept in the movie like uh, shit talks it like uh, Scotty yeah was like, yeah that was I heard it was a combination <laughs> of the fact that they spent too much time calling it a piece of shit and <laughs> fans didn't like the Excelsior and and were yeah. against the idea well, that that was going to replace uh, a the lot Enterprise. of a lot of fans disliked it. So, but the ILM boys loved it because it was such an easier model to shoot. Because the motion picture refit Enterprise was a monster that was terrible to work with, and they hated they hated doing special effects shots with it. I, uh, how, why was it uh, so troublesome? It seems like they broadly I, have the I, same. I, I, I don't mean, know I, the I details, know but I have heard numerous interviews where they complained about it being a nightmare to work with. So it was something with the wiring, I think, and the okay, not and like stuff. sort of like the 
the aesthetics of it when filmed like like it it, it shoots badly from no certain no angles. no it actually looks beautiful from all angles but yeah. uh, but I, I I think it was the electrics and stuff were not wired yeah, properly yeah. more and more practical stuff I yeah. see mm-hmm. uh, and and they didn't really you know they, we don't have time to cut it apart and replace or budget to cut it apart and replace it if but, it kind of works yeah. we're making it work <laughs> I guess as long as Sulu eventually got it yes <laughs> so but yes the Excelsior they 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 built and so it was built with more modern tech and stuff inside it. We also see a reuse of the Kirk apartment set, which mm-hmm. is one of the best sets of the Star Trek movies. Yeah, yeah. It looks futuristic, but kind of cool. I mean, you know, it's 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 got character to it. So do y'all know the, the thing that worked out with that shot of everyone having the toast to absent friends? Mm-hmm. How if you actually, like, freeze frame the movie there... And look at all those characters. It just so happens that those are all the living cast members of the original series. The people missing there are Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly and James Duhon. So that is so, say in, in the exact this exact moment in time. Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, it's all oh. the living ones. Yeah, it's oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, in a few more years, that coincidence probably is not going to work out so well. Uh, yeah, after you have a different scene from a different film or episode. <laughs> yeah. so. Who's next? <laughs> oh, oh no, there will be no. no Star Trek Deadpool. No, no, no. Oh, and we get to see uh, Yeoman Rand return yep. uh, very briefly. Yeah, she's she's watching as they dock. Right. Yeah, I like that though because um, it it kind of really like enforces the the idea of like like Kirk and his crew of, of the the legendary. Starfleet officers and them them returning from this uh, crisis with Khan and how how people you know it, it makes them feel big and larger than life to have a character uh, you know staring up at the ship returning home yeah the the ship works as a cool I mean it's a, it's it's obvious but it works as a cool metaphor for how scarred everybody is in this like everybody is damaged from it yeah even yeah. though some of that battle damage never occurred in the Wrath of Khan but <laughs> it looks cool though it, it does look cool it just, looks it looks the uh, journey gorgeous. back was rough too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> um, and everyone got shore leave afterwards, except Scotty, because Scotty's so good at his job, and he got a promotion. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why you should never be that good at your job. No, no. Well, uh, to be well, fair, Scotty did get some sort of revenge for that. That's true. <laughs> yeah, but that's but he didn't. It wasn't like when they promoted Kirk from captain to admiral, and he suddenly didn't get to do what he wanted. He was still chief of engineering. It, it was just the new hot well, ship. Well, he was captain of engineering. Captain which of was engineering. Weird, but whatever. He's still term. probably doing the engine. He's in the engine room when we mm-hmm. see him on Excelsior. It's I'm sure it's basically the same job. I'm gonna throw out a quick pet peeve here. Uh, this movie started the tradition to, of Scotty being a little bit cranky about the new technology, and I, I never really loved that. It became a sort of thing he jokes about. Um, I, I, have, I have a it feels like, that'll fix it for okay, you. It feels like the sort of thing that does happen to a lot of people it's as true. they get older, so I'm kind of okay with it. The, this yeah, is, it's this it's only that I like, like it. I, well, go ahead. Because he knows that the transwarp engine won't work, and no one would listen to him, mm-hmm. and they built the Excelsior, this new transwarp drive, and the whole time Scotty's like, no, it's a piece of shit. It's not going to work. And they never listen to him. And then he's eventually proven right. And that's why Transwarp isn't used throughout the fleet going forward. Yeah. That's not in the movie. It's not in the movie, but... <laughs> it is pretty easy to infer. Yeah, no, I, I, very yeah. that makes it work infer. a little bit better. But, like, they also kind of go on to show Scotty becoming a bit of a cranky old man in the Next Generation episode. Um, which, yeah. which uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And the Excelsior design 
aside from Transform Drive, becomes incredibly prolific. Probably one of Starfleet's most <laughs> successful designs ever. Well, yes, I guess that that's why Scotty's so bitter in, yeah. uh, in Next Generation. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like they built how many of those things? <laughs> yeah, Starfleet loves the Excelsior and loves the Miranda yes, for yes. the next eight decades after this. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but we, we do get that a really cool comedic bit where Dr. McCoy goes into the bar to try to get a, a the, the flight to, to Genesis. <laughs> From yeah. Ferengi Yoda. Yes. yes. Yeah, no, that's that scene was so much... Uh, I don't know, it's like, did they just watch Star Wars right before it and they were like, we should throw in a cantina scene where they try to get a worked. <laughs> the idea that McCoy has a bar he goes to makes absolute like sense. No, the I, idea that the bar would be filled with aliens in Star Trek land makes absolute sense. And high it totally res, does. Yeah. High-res vector graphic World War II plane, dogfighting. Yeah. 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 And no. Troubles. No, I, yeah, no, troubles, I, yeah, yeah, that's right, there was. No, I like the scene, but it, it definitely was like, hmm. Genesis! <laughs> Look, I like that, that, I like that alien, actually. Yes. I, I, when, I, when I rewatched it, I was like, his particular word jumble style, I liked more than I remembered. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. So. Their, their whole, you know, um, when is now, you know, where, how much is where. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's fun. I, lo- I always loved this. I loved it as a kid. It made me laugh. I loved yeah. the line, uh, how can you be deaf with ears like that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's not going to be any damn permits. And, and <laughs> how then, can you get a permit for a damn and, thing that's and illegal? as much as they're complaining about, you you know, people say it's too Star Wars, when he tries to find an illegal smuggler who will <laughs> smuggle him into forbidden places, he can't because the Federation yeah. is filled with <laughs> Nice people, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he can't. <laughs> I do love when he That's a good uh, point. Yes. when he when when the guy the security guy comes over to talk him down, and uh, he mentions trying to get a ship, and the alien smuggler guy's like. Mm. <laughs> 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 but I, what, what I like the most is the, the Spock bones fusion yeah. or spones, as I call it. <laughs> but when when he says. Uh, uh, when, when the, the cop offers McCoy a ride home, and he, ha- he has the, the line, um, uh, where's the logic in offering me a ride home when I'm trying to charter a space flight, you, you idiot? <laughs> <laughs> and then he does, he tries to do the Vulcan nerve pinch that doesn't yeah. work. Oh, he just like, he like grabs him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, some of the, 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 the characterization of Starfleet in this gets a little frustrating to me. It's the beginning, oh, well, or a continuation maybe, but, but the beginning of the, Really leaning into Starfleet as a bunch of either hawks or, you know, buzzkill types. I wouldn't say they're hawkish um, in this, but they're hawks they're, or bureaucrats. They're, they're bureaucratic. Hawks or bureaucrats, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I do appreciate that both the guy who was going to take uh, McCoy home and the, uh, is it an admiral that Kirk talks to later to try and get yeah. permission to go yeah, to Ad- Admiral Maru. Mm-hmm. Admiral Maru. Uh, they both feel like they've got some empathy going on. They feel yeah. more like how I want Starfleet to feel. Then Styles comes along and ruins with, it all. With the exception with, of Captain Styles, a lot of people, a lot of the Starfleet people in this movie are way less dickish. That's true. Than, yeah, yeah. Then people were in the original series sometimes when they met uh, Federation officials or admirals. Yeah. Right. There was definitely, I mean, th- that's the problem with if you have somebody in authority over your heroes, 
they have to either be they, they have to be incompetent in, or, or evil, right? Because otherwise, be like, they'd end up solving the problem for the heroes. I've got your back every every time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not super great drama. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that is why Starfleet admirals are all terrible. And when Kirk becomes an admiral, he has all of his problems, and he doesn't get his mojo back completely, except when he's back as a captain. One of the reasons why I really like this movie is that it, it has kind of an expansion of, of Starfleet and what it shows the audience. And and having having space dock having a, a an admiral other than Admiral Kirk, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know the pr- previous two movies, Kirk's the highest ranking person we see. Yeah, yeah. Um, Though they talk they, about they uh, mention Nagura. Admiral Nagura in the motion picture, and we yeah. never we never see yeah. him. Um, also, the comedy in this movie, I, I think this movie uh, has a lot of really good comedy that works, and sure I think does. you kind of need that with. Uh, c- coming out of the, the tragedy of the Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, Nimoy was very aware that these characters are fun, and that was something he was very aware of, and something he felt was being missed, even with even with Star Trek II to some degree, and something mm-hmm. he clearly emphasizes going forward. Yeah, there's some really great scenes in Trek II, but like McCoy talking to Kirk on his birthday is some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, there, there's like acidic humor in that, and this has some real humor. Uh, to some degree, I, I I could feel them like I felt like I, I don't know I, I don't want to say like quite dumbing it down a bit because there's broad humor and a piece of the action and trouble with tribbles so there mm-hmm. is for sure a tradition of that um, uh, maybe it's it's more that uh, you know like Mister Adventure and stuff like that I thought I was like okay <laughs> we get it he's a jerk <laughs> you know like oh, come on that's Michelle Nichols' big scene please don't say that they should have <laughs> taken that out <laughs> no no but I might have. Changed it so that he wasn't, like, every line that he said dripping with, like, I want to, like, pants this dude or whatever, you know. Well, the, we have to feel good when he gets locked in a closet. So I agree. He I agree. has I mean, to I, be a jerk. They, yeah. uh, I, I think they maybe leaned into it as much as you can. I'm not I'm not old like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, that guy was just, like, a perfect, like, like 80s movie. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 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 he needs to... Be, be like a, a bully at someone's high school, or like like a really cocky guy in the military, or like uh, there, there's so many different like like eighties movies. I feel like this guy should have been in. And yeah. I look at his IMDb page, and he's like he he didn't do much at all. But you know, yeah, uh, Styles Scott, Scott McGinnis, the name of the actor, the guy playing Captain Styles, could have been his rich dad in the, some other eighties. <laughs> <movie. laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, wait, let's talk about like like the 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 jailbreak in the Enterprise heist. Yeah. Um, you know, we we do have uh, that that scene, I guess, where where Kirk goes to Admiral Morrow after visiting with with Sarek, yes, learning about the Katra, and we he is like dining in that restaurant, mm-hmm. and Admiral Morrow is like telling him, uh, you know, like. No way, Jill. We're not going to let you. We're not going to let you do this. Right? Didn't and, that is the genesis to become like this political firestorm kind of thing? Right? Yeah. 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 Well, Starfleet, ha- as far as all the other powers are concerned, Starfleet can blow up entire planets with one torpedo. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and apparently shields and all of that probably make appear to make no difference. Mm-hmm. I can totally see why all the other powers would be go. Whoa! The Klingons will have something very more specific to say about it in the next movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> there's there's this good bit of. of of acting and the way it was shot with Shatner kind of like after he's been told no, where he's kind of staring off in the distance and you can tell he's not listening to this lecture mm-hmm. this other Admiral is giving him. Mm-hmm. And like at this moment, like he already knows, he, like he has zero doubt in his mind. He's going to steal the enterprise 
and and go fix Spock and fix McCoy. Yeah. And it's even really now that I think about it, it's from before this scene. It's from when he's visiting with Sarek in his apartment, and they uh, they review the. Uh, the footage of the Enterprise and very and, well edited and shot <laughs> it was security camera footage. Yeah, uh, edited and shot by Nicholas Meyer. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, there's this the, there's this moment in there where up until this point, Kirk has just been like like miserable and depressed. And I, I mean, he just he saw his best friend die. Yeah, and it's like at this moment when he gets a mission. From Sarek. Right. When Sarek is saying, uh, yeah, like, you gotta do this for to help Dr. McCoy, you gotta do this to help my son, and, and Kirk says, uh, I, I will, I swear. And you see you see it in his face, like, he, he snaps out of that grief, and mm-hmm. now, like, he's back into, like, action Captain Kirk mode. Yeah, well, as we've, especially once you look at the whole arc of the films, Kirk is a doer, and if he can't be doing, he doesn't know what to do with himself. Yep. So. Kind of like, um, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. No rest time for this guy. Yeah. Um, I, I like I don't the... know if Kirk shoots up heroin when he's not doing <laughs> stuff, but... <laughs> Just Romulan Ale. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, so he has the the team together, and they they go to get McCoy out of the Federation funny farm. Yep. Um, yeah. Kind of like how when Spock was locked up there in season two of Discovery. Yeah. Right? And, uh, they have the other really funny joke that always makes me laugh when... When Kirk goes up to McCoy and he does the Vulcan hand jive and he says, uh, "How many, how many fingers am I holding on?" Yes, <laughs> I, I think that's not think, so damn funny. The, the better one is, comes a moment later when he says, uh, "You're suffering from a Vulcan mind meld." That green blooded son of a bitch! bitch. Yeah. It's his revenge for all the arguments he lost. I love that. Oh, yeah. oh god, that's amazing. That's like the best McCoy line in all Star Trek. I, I use that line all all the time when I'm talking about my my friend uh, Trenton, who's who's appeared on on Tax Trek a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, me and him, when we were younger, we were roommates for a little bit, and we would have a bunch of um, heated discussions about various topics. And so whenever whenever he's not doing something like uh, these days that like I, that, like I want him to do or like he's like disagreeing with me or something, I always tell him like, "This is your revenge for all those arguments you lost." <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's uh, when I was making notes on this as I was watching it, I jotted down like I feel like ten or twelve lines in it that stuck out at me, and I didn't remember that it had so many quotable lines. Before. Yeah, no, there's some and, beautiful gems in this movie. Written by Hart Bennett. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Regardless of whether you think the whole works, mm-hmm. there are definitely some beautiful mm-hmm. moments that are that are mm-hmm. that are stunning throughout, scattered throughout this and, film. And speaking speaking of Harv Bennett, like one of his favorite lines that he wrote, and this yeah. came from being a guy who did TV for so many years and couldn't yeah. use this on TV. But when he has uh, Scotty um, get on the the, the turbo oh, shaft, goes, and, yeah, up your shaft. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was all goofy. <laughs> That's just me. Well. It works because we all dislike Styles, and he was just talking shit about the Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, Styles gets a pretty hard comeuppance in the uh, mm-hmm. scene to come, but yes, that heist in general is a fantastic, energetic sequence. James Horner's music has that energy going on. Yeah, to it. yeah, it is. It is probably the best part of the film, really. Yeah, certainly. I as think far that's as probably energy. where, if you know, if the audience was not on board before, you got to get on board for "Don't yeah. Call Me Tiny." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when they're when they're actually like backing the ship up through so, the so, big... so the the I have to ask. I mean, Starfleet personnel being a little bit racist potentially that you're that that doesn't what was, rub what people. What was racist? Uh, 
Asian people being small is a racist oh, I thought thing. it was just because uh, that guy was and, huge. And, yeah, I actually... Uh, where, you, you said that and that makes sense. But it, yeah, I just took it as he was just a tall guy threatening... Yeah, well, a, there's, a, there's another layer to it, certainly, yeah. that, 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 that I think Asian people would pick up on. And, and yes, Sulu kicks his ass, so yay for no racism. But, and, and George but just, didn't want to do that. He didn't want to be called tiny. He didn't yeah. want he didn't want Sulu to be like made fun of in front of the audience. Uh, but but Nimue was like, no, no, do this, and the audience will cheer for Sulu. They're not yeah. gonna, they're not going to laugh at you. They're going to cheer for yeah. you. My yeah. only complaint is is that the Starfleet we all see, but but yeah, right. but we can say it is just he is tall, and we're projecting twentieth century values onto a twenty right. third century. I guess story. he is he is the uh, the um, uh, the triad uh, of, of douchebags in there. There's yeah. Mister Adventure. There's <laughs> Don't Call Me Tiny guy, and then there's Styles. Himself. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> my my only complaint with this part of the movie of, of them, uh, you know, getting getting the band back together and and stealing the Enterprise, sabotaging the Excelsior. Don't call me Tiny. How many fingers am I holding up? All that stuff. I love it, and it all works so much. And then I remember how they, after Yura has her big moment with Mister Adventure. They ignore her until the end of the movie. Yep. And that that's frustrating that, like, oh, we're going to leave the chick behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a shame. Um, um, she does get a little more to do in the novel, but yeah. not a lot. Uh, yeah. But, but in that she goes and jams up all of Starfleet's communications network so they can't send any other ship except the ships at Space Dock after them. But um, Yeah, and I, I wish they would have... That mentioned that in well. the movie or something. Yeah, yeah that certainly would have wouldn't have hurt none. Yeah, so. I feel like there's there's little doubt that it had something to do with just a little bit of that old '80s entrenched sexism. Just if you're gonna well, leave somebody, Michelle behind. Nichols originally we just thumbed through the script to see how many scenes she was in, and then yeah. called up Nimoy and said, "I'm not going to do it." And he's like, "Why? Well, I'm not in hardly I'm in hardly any scenes." And he's like, "Did you read your scenes?" He's like. All right, I'll read my scenes, but I don't think I'm going to do it. And then yeah. she calls me. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> you actually gave me something fun to do besides hailing frequencies. <laughs> so, um, do you want to talk about Krug and the Klingons and their role in the movie and how how we're introduced to the Klingon bird of prey? Right, the first appearance of a ship that will come to be used many, many times. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. yes. Like One like the... every model built in this movie, we'll see a lot of it. <laughs> It's almost you, like they're reusing. You don't see too much of the Merchant Man freighter That's at the true. Uh, yeah, I, but I think it is still recycled a few times. Yes. Yeah. I will say, I love that scene when it first appears. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Valkyris is uh, a little is cheesy this... in her uh, in her super cleavage. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But this is why I love the Merchant Man ship mm-hmm. and everyone on it, including mm-hmm. Valkyris. Because, to me, that fits so well into the original series aesthetics. Like, the interior of that ship... The look of the the crew, their wardrobe, Valkyrie's wardrobe, even though she has like the kind of the the newer Klingon makeup right. on her forehead, mm-hmm. the the purple lighting, the crepes in the background with was like a net a, over them. Was that like a deliberate decision? I don't think so. They they light some of the, the Klingon bird of prey interiors. The bar, with purple lights. The but. bar with uh, Genesis uh, also <laughs> looks a little bit. A little bit TOS, I think, uh, in that sense. I feel like they're very heightened light. My hunch is, in both cases, it was the same reason that TOS looked like TOS. We have limited money, and we want to spend it elsewhere. Cinematic <laughs> <So laughs> lighting, simple props, yeah. Yeah, yeah. how do we make uh, this really crappy point. set look good? Colored lights. Point. And that's a, a big part of my fondness for this movie, is that it does... It's the first movie that really feels in sync with the original series. Yes. Yeah. Uh, despite breaking so many original series rules, like, you know... Killing off people and, and just or blowing, blowing up the, up the fucking shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but yes, there is there is definitely 
credit and acknowledgement like, of that series. Like in 79, we got like Star Trek the motion picture, but to me, like this feels like Star Trek the movie. Yeah. Or like Star mm-hmm. Trek the original series, the movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that. Certainly closer than anything that had come so, before. So, general thoughts from you guys on, on the Bird of Prey as a design? Oh, I love a, it. It's oh, gorgeous. It's, it's very cool. Definitely yeah, the best yeah. Klingon ship. Uh, wings uh, down or up? <laughs> uh, up is cooler. I still prefer the D7, uh, but they, they needed like a, a smaller scout class ship for, yeah. for this movie, and especially for the next movie. Yeah. So they, the, the bird of prey that they, that they created and used works out really well. But cool thing is they initially wanted that to be a Romulan ship. They were going to have Romulans as the bad guys. Hence call it, giving it a Romulan name. Yeah, yeah and a cloaking device. And, and yeah. bird print on the underside of the wings. And, and so then it was going to be a Romulan ship that a Klingon stole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just eventually became a Klingon ship. <laughs> right. But, yeah, they kept trimming it back, so yeah. <laughs> this is a small thing, um, uh, but I, but it's something that I liked is when the uh, when it first appears over what the merchant ship... Uh, I believe it's just part of the soundtrack and not actually um, like a sound effect. But there's this kind of clanging bell thing, like a proximity yes. alarm, yeah. uh, and it's just it's because it's so giant compared to that merchant ship. It, it, it I, I don't know somehow it just heightens that scene. Yeah, uh, no, in addition it works. to cool James James Horner music. Yeah, and his music it's original content, but it is in the same kind of aesthetics. Is what uh, Jerry Goldsmith did for the Klingon music That's in right. the motion picture. That's right. Yeah. It has a little bit of that, that sort of drum-like tribal quality. Yeah, and we mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, how mm-hmm. that, that music would later be used to, if, if not use the exact same music, they would use something very much inspired by it for, mm-hmm. for the Klingons. Mm. Uh, and I guess uh, you you learn pretty quickly that they will need to be taken seriously if they'll blow up one of their own pers- people yeah. and just yeah. trash a ship like that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what do you what do you think about Krug as a, as the as the villain of the piece? They um, should have made John Larroquette the villain and had Krug be a side no, a sidekick. No, 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 no. no. John Larroquette <laughs> played Maltz. Yeah. Who is uh, who's also in Night Court with yes. Brent Spiner, who of course yes. will become Data. Yeah. And he oh, was in wow. uh, he was in Twilight Zone recently. He's yeah. in Twilight Zone a couple weeks ago. The oh, new, oh, new nice. Twilight okay. Zone on CBS All Access. Yes. When, uh, when was John Larroquette a Klingon? He was one of the Klingons on. On the Bird of Prey in Star yeah. Trek Three, really? He's the yeah, one who lives. He's the I one at the end. Who did built. not know I'll that. Call you later, no, I'm not. Gonna... I was like, oh, "What I is he know. talking about?" I thought this was in like some Star Trek yet to see. No, no. Wow, oh. I don't know if I've ever known that. So only eighty. I only knew it because I read it. But yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's cool though. But I will say that Christopher Lloyd delivers a great performance. It's not Ricardo Montalban, but it is it is certainly satisfactory to what it is required to be. It's as big. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it. Yeah, it does, doesn't have like quite the weight. But it's as big. But <laughs> it's as big as it is. Here's here's why that works for me because they're not trying to make him as big and important as Khan. Yeah, no. The entire point of the Wrath of Khan, like our hero's objective in that movie, is to survive Khan. Yeah, it's kind of structured more like a horror movie, or even what we see a lot with James Bond movies or superhero movies or anything that's like like a big like supervillain who has like a, a plan or a scheme or something and and. It, in like the traditional sense of a protagonist, the villain is kind of like the protagonist, and the hero is like the antagonist who's trying to stop the the proactive player from doing what their what right. their their goal is. Um, but what I like about Star Trek Three is that the the actual heroes are the actual protagonists. You know, their goal is is to get Spock, and uh, Krug is just there to be a problem for them. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's yeah. all that he's really 
played up as. And, as and a, they give him a lot of really fun, villainous stuff to mm-hmm. do. Uh, uh, you should take the Vulcan. No. Why? Because it pleases you. No, because, because you wish it. Because you oh, wish it. You wish it. That's yeah. another line I quote yeah. from this movie all the time. If I'm ever trying to like just be a dick about something, somebody's like, why are you going to do that? Or why won't you do that? And I'll just say, because you wish it. Yeah. Uh, so he gets a bunch of great lines, and um, he's pretty sly. You know, when he when he he and the Enterprise have their first exchange, uh, which by the way riff, riff, slightly riffs on Khan's approach to, mm-hmm. uh, to in, in Wrath of Khan, um, but but this time they don't get caught with their pants down. Yeah. But they are not running at combat readiness, so yeah. it of course ends up more of an even match. But Krug is pretty sly throughout most of that. He. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he definitely works with his smaller scout ship as best he can, uh, and it does occur to me that uh, some of the worst uh, damage ever done um, to uh, to the Federation is by small ships, the Reliant, yeah. uh, the Bird of Prey here, and don't uh, the Klingon sisters in uh, in Star Trek Generations, Generations take down a galaxy class with a yep. old Bird of Prey, which yep. is really stupid and hacky writing and <laughs> a, a total contrivance. We're that getting makes ahead no of sense. ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that movie soon enough. Yes, um, but I'm just saying, small ships bring down enterprises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and I I think the other thing about him is he almost there's something. Uh, he's very Klingon. He's very like you can almost see like I, I, I he's very ambitious, like trying to like better his stuff. He's like uh, obviously you know it's funny because like Starfleet views like Genesis as a failure because it's like oh it didn't you know, didn't work to create a new planet's life. And he's like, what does he say? Like ultimate power or something <laughs> like that. He's like, it's like, if we get this, I'm going to be like one of the, the head clean yeah, on here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He keeps, the, to him, a Genesis is a, a success. Yeah, yeah he's like, no. planets. This is a win. Yeah, it's, it's like the equivalent of the Death Star and the, and the other star franchise. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. 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 No, so I, I, I thought it was good. He's almost like kind of like a small time guy trying to, Trying to trying to do better, trying to work his way up. He is. He does do. You know how I talked about in the Wrath of Khan one, how Khan kind of does what you don't always see villains do, which is like he does the torture the instant he catches him, basically, and gets his information. Krug also does something a little unusual for villains, which is that he doesn't like lock up his captives. He does actually kill one of them to show his threat right away. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's like not a nobody. It's not some random NPC. It's a pretty <clears throat> notable character. Then, um, well, let's let's talk about Savic and, and David. And yeah. David. Okay. Well, I do want to say Esteban. Yeah, was, e- everyone says Esteban is a, a wet blanket and he way sucks. too bureau. No, no he, he he's Go terrible. Apply Esteban to almost most of the original series episodes, and you will see that Esteban does not get his crew killed. Maybe he doesn't save <laughs> everyone on the planet, but Esteban would have kept his crew alive <laughs> way better than the than Kirk did throughout the '60s Star Trek. Because of the, his adherence the, to these little protocols and rules, how did that work out for him here? So somebody else came and blew him up. Well, well, with a cloaked ship, he got sucker punched. He couldn't have planned for that. Okay, yeah, there's no way you can say that's his fault. Here's here's <laughs> why I don't like JT Esteban is because they they make him look like such a 
pathetic captain. He is supposed to look pathetic, but if you so, look at what he actually does, it would have saved a lot of lives in the five, Kirk's five year mission. I think that's silly. I think I think you could just as easily say that he wouldn't have he he wouldn't have been able to save the day as many times as Kirk. I, well, I don't know if he would have but, saved the day, but he would have saved his crew. Well, that's not, like, that's not you don't sign up for Starfleet to be saved. Fair enough. Risk is but, our business the, and all that. But exactly. But but he would have saved. I, I think we have to give him some points for that. No one ever gives him any points. For I that. like I, I like Esteban. I, you know, I don't feel he was like wildly pathetic. I yeah. did like when they said they found Spock. I, I think it's when they said he yeah. found Spock that he's like uh, yeah. he reacts about like the smuggler when he gets busted. He's like, Rrr! well, he, he asked at some at one point he asked David and Savica, well, what do you think we should do? But yeah. he's clearly he like wants well, to find look, out if they've been taken over by some mind altering thing. Can you imagine? No, this, no, this also, the, this the, the, the Genesis planet is the like most the biggest political firestorm going on right now, and this guy is the guy that's right in the thick of it. One wrong step, and he's probably gonna he could start a war. But that's yes. what a Starfleet captain should be able to go in and handle. Yeah. And I, I, and the novelization actually states he was picked because he always follows the book. That's I, why I they hate, wanted him. There. I hate Esteban because. <laughs> They make him Jeez. look. They make him look so lame in order to make like Kirk look like the cool badass captain right. who can always get it done. And but it also and, seems very plausible that they I would assign somebody to like that to a science vessel, and they would assign that particular science vessel to this sort of situation. I don't. I don't like the idea that there's people like that in Starfleet. I. I, I instead of having like after Kirk, all the bad apples we've had in Starfleet, <laughs> this is the one you can't stand. <laughs> instead of having like like our our main heroes. Instead of having like Kirk be like the only like uh, really successful captain who can who can make decisions on his own and outsmart the villains and figure out the right thing to do in a murky situation. But that's not what you do in a two-hour movie. I, I, I know, but I, just, I I don't like the idea of of Kirk being like the only cool captain in Starfleet. I, well, I want, if you want like, to rag on Esteban being be an cool. asshole, I'm all right there with you. But, but Actually, I think uh, not Esteban. I mean, uh, Styles being an asshole, but Esteban I think gets a bad rap. What's well, I'm, a, I'm glad JT Esteban got blown up. What's a, what, <laughs> so, Father, real quick, what were his what were his major flaws? What, what did he do wrong? He, no, could, I just I just don't make like a him decision. Be, I think I, yeah, I don't like him being like uh, indecisive, incompetent, uh, impotent, lame ass. Well, here's the thing: like, did, did he like he didn't know? You know, he didn't know, of course, what was going on. So he was like, okay, they found this weird thing on the Genesis planet. He asks, he says, "Don't beam up. Let's we got to quarantine you for it right now." Uh, does he really do much beyond that? He says he wants to check with Starfleet before yeah. he, he... Yeah, know, he right. several times. But I think that was check. also a kind of a stalling tactic because he honestly believed they might have been possessed or mind-controlled by something on the planet because what they're saying is crazy bullshit. Oh, that, that's, that's a stretch to... And, and to think normally that, I might say, yeah, thinking. that's a bit of a stretch, but how many times in the original series did one of the crew members get possessed uh, Possessed? <laughs> and, oh no, beam on down, it's great down here, sir. That uh, happened I, all so the time. Esteban had watched the show. Yes, yeah. he read. The, he read the logs. Yes, the, the reason they wrote him the way that they wrote him is because there's like this this widespread idea that that Kirk is is like the best of the best Starfleet captain, <laughs> and everyone else kind of sucks. And I don't like that. I, I I want there to be like other cool badasses. I, I, I tend in to Starfleet. agree with you. I just don't and think I, that Esteban just because Esteban <laughs> is not one of those badasses. Yeah, I don't know if he deserves to die, to, Father. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I appreciate but it's your, your podcast, so I'm going to let you have the last word. <laughs> this topic and move on. It, it, it is kind of c- cool how, like, uh, we see uh, 
Krug react to the Grissom accidentally being destroyed? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he disintegrates the gunner. And there's only 12 people on that <laughs> ship, so that's like a significant portion yeah. of the crew he just yeah. killed. Well, but think of the money they're going to save now. Yeah. <laughs> the, but immediately the, after that, when he's, he's, he points the gun at, at Torg and he's, say the wrong thing, Torg. Yeah. <laughs> just give me a reason to shoot well, someone else. The thing that uh, the thing that cracks me up, of course, is when he tells the guy later on, just target the engines. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, it was only understood. Understood. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe the most important thing about that me for that that scene for me uh, is uh, how cool and painful looking the Klingon disruption is on Kill. Oh yes, uh, it's. Uh, I think the first time we'd seen. Uh, well, they, they had definitely the integration in the original series, yeah. right? But but, but it, rarely that took quite that long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It seems that like the mean, bigger budget Star Trek gets, the more they're afraid of doing full body disintegrations. But as this movie shows, they are kind of horrific. They, they brought it back in in Discovery. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, not, <laughs> there was like a like halfway through the nineties, they they kind of like decided like, yeah, we're not gonna do disintegrations anymore in Star Trek. But then they brought it back in season four of Enterprise, and it looked really cool and scary and powerful. Yeah, and yeah. Like, oh yeah. my god, that's so deadly. And they've done it a few times and since. I, I, I was like, why are the JJ films not showing off how amazing these weapons can be? That seems like exactly but, the sort of flash that JJ Abrams would love. He could even have lens flare all over the place. <laughs> in the so when when we do have that uh, confrontation of like the bird of prey versus the enterprise, I, I I've heard people complain about this movie about how it doesn't make sense that Krug would attack a Constitution class ship. Mm. Like there's there's no reason to believe that he could take them down with a, if he got a, a good sucker punch in at the first thing right before, he, before shields are up and yeah. he just he just accidentally blew up a Federation ship so he's probably thinking like well I need like a bigger sturdier target yeah yeah so I've always kind of dismissed that criticism no I, but, I think that's plausible what, for somebody like him to go ahead with that and what, take what was that chance cool there was the cat and mouse game between Kirk and Krug when. The the Enterprise was onto the uh, the cloaked ship mm-hmm. before anyone on the Bird of Prey knew that yeah they would yeah. they would have been aware of them yeah the and, novelization specifies it was Kruge beaming up that caused the disruption in the cloak that Sulu spotted uh, nice. that that was the, the 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 key flaw was Kruge and, beaming up well to the cloaked ship um Krug is under Krug, the imp- sorry he he would be under the impression that there's four or five hundred people on that ship yeah. Mm-hmm. Five hundred, according to Probert. And then you have like the 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 poker game, where uh, I love that that shot when when Kirk, um, when he when he hells the bird of prey, and you know the Klingons are like, well, why don't they just finish us off? Like they they outgun us, and and Kirk has to act like uh, he's he's got like a, a fully crewed, fully powered mm-hmm. ship. But when the the view screen turns on and Kirk has his back to the camera and he turns around dramatically, yeah, and it's kind of silly. But like, this is the guy who like screamed Khan to like yeah. to to um, sell it to Khan that like, oh no, like you trapped me here, <laughs> and he's he's trying to 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 bluff. Yeah, yeah. And I love I love that exchange between them. No, no, it's great. It's the whole sequence is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that this felt like a. Kirk, who had learned from the events of Wrath of Khan, had kind of gotten back on his game and was able to find dangers before they hit him, Mm -hmm. uh, but just was in a situation that was a really tough situation. Yeah. And when when Krug addresses him and he says, uh, Kirk, this is your opponent... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I love the way that like how he 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 viewed it. it's you know it's all a chess game to him. Yeah, right. And he's he definitely held himself in a high esteem. Mm-hmm. 
And it is it is so cool when he says, you know, to, to prove I mean business, I'm going to kill one of the hostages. Mm-hmm. And then he tells his, his crewmen, you know, execute one of them. I don't care which one. Like, he's that, like... Yeah. Callous about yeah. it. I don't, I don't care which one, but it definitely raises the stakes in a way that you don't see in most movies. It, that they kill off a character that we, you know, become attached to from a previous mm-hmm. film. Right, and that you might that assume simple, that that quick, not yeah, a big that you dramatic might assume death. Is safe. Yeah. So we so, should talk about uh, Savick and David and yeah. them being on the planet and them finding you know Kid Spock. Yeah. Before, I have to before admit, they're captured, the the two of them having a, a budding romance in the novel is forever imprinted in my head when I watch this movie. Even I, though I see it's no not evidence in, of that. In no, the no, movie. it's not in the no, film, but yeah. it is still how I view it when I because I read same the here. novelization. Yeah, so I, I read times. that same same novelization and, and really liked it. And uh, and Savick going off. Uh, you know, everyone says, oh, she plays at full Vulcan. But when she goes off on David, how many people have paid the price for your lack of foresight? Like, you're just mad. Dude, David didn't. Yes, he screwed up the formula for Genesis, but yeah. none of this would have happened. He had no control over Khan. He had no control over these Klingons. He had no response. None of this is actually his fault. You're just angry and hurt that that basically he lied to you and, and, and that Spock is dead. Your mentor is dead. And now you mm-hmm. find out that in a sense, if David had played by the rules, then maybe things would David, Spock would still be here. Mm-hmm. And I like that scene. Robin Curtis gets a lot of shit. Yeah. For not being as good of a Savic as yeah. Christy Alley. Yeah. I like and her. She yeah, definitely does play it more traditional Vulcan. Yeah. But that was the direction she received from Nimoy. Yeah. Right. Not an actress problem, but for it's the direction they yeah. chose. And I and, absolutely would have loved to see more Robin Curtis going forward in all the films. But uh, Brian, it, am, am I right in the books when I, David dies, she freaks out on the Klingons, kicks some ass on them, and they have to like... I think they have to no, stun her like three times before she I goes down. I don't think so. I don't remember I'm, that. I, let's, let's look into this because I'm pretty I, sure that I that was I do remember they get into her head and she's coming up with the, you know, kill one, I don't know which. And she knows what that order was because she knows Klingon or something. Mm-hmm. So she's like getting ready and she's going to jump that Klingon and and try to, t- and, and, and steal his, take his knife and get his disruptor and try to hold everyone off and hope that David and Spock get away. And she's got this big, I'm going to die in this huge fight. And then David does his thing and gets killed. And she's like, oh, well. Um. Maybe, it's possible. <laughs> Maybe that's it what I was It was really thinking. cool in the novels. She had this whole battle plan worked out and she didn't get to do it. By the way, the Klingon knife, the first time we see the duck tag. Ah, yes. Oh, yeah. Which is yes. a great weapon. Pretty vicious. <laughs> yeah, another piece of... of prop that will continue to resonate through the show. And the, not only did they get like the Klingon like culture and personality and ships right in this movie and set a trend for the rest of Star Trek, but also mm-hmm. their uh, their weapons, their armor. Yeah. Um, was well, all, the armor also, was basically TMP armor. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but they, they do make some modifications to it. Yeah. It, does, it does, like when you're watching it here, it does look more next generation than any of the Klingon stuff in the motion picture. It's tweaked. <laughs> But they clearly recycled mo- for the extras. I think only I I, I bet you only Krug got a new set of armor, and everyone else was old costumes. <laughs> I bet you. I um I did like the David and Savick's adventure and their the weird uh ex- one cell bacteria yeah. or whatever grown to giant to leeches, yeah. and then later in a kind of pulp sci fi kind of fun way into like those giant worms that. Krug just crushes without thinking twice about it. It does all feel like what we think of classic Star Trek. Exploring a planet, finding strange new life, you know, figuring, doing science, figuring science stuff out. (laughs) I will say this, although the notion that that Spock is linked to the life cycle of the planet is a little crazy, 
I feel that for the purposes of the movie, it's kind of a so crazy it just might work kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, and they don't get into any details. They That's just probably kind of, wise. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's kind of Spock's resurrection is is like about almost as magical as anything that happens with the Pa race in Deep Space Nine. There's 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 oh. well, we think the planet might have regenerated it. And that's everything else might as well just be supernatural. <laughs> I mean, the, I, the idea of a torpedo that you shoot at like a dead moon and then it makes like oceans and plants and everything yeah. appear on it. It's that that in itself is pretty. Yeah, magical. but they did at least spend, like, make a whole video presentation about how this was actually science, <laughs> even right. if they never really even if it was science. Yeah, CG yeah. makes it real. Yeah, even yeah. if that's not how terraforming will yeah, ever yeah. work. Yeah. But, but uh well, but that's how Genesis works. I do think this is one of the most mystical yeah. and magical <laughs> Star Treks out there in in, in compared you know, where where we really lean into the, the magic level uh in a way that we don't see mostly. We we have uh Spock kind of reintroduced as like a feral child. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And he does a lot of screaming. <laughs> he does. He's very good. Actually at the, it. I do think the actor did a good job of portraying pain. Like he looks like he has the worst migraine which, which of all time. Because they, they yeah. went through a few. <laughs> but uh, like, honestly they all did a good job. Yeah, um, I liked all of them. So Spock is is supposed to be seventeen when he when he enters into the the pond far mm-hmm. in this in this movie, and I do really think like if they had Christy Alley in here instead of Robin Curtis, that that scene would have would have come off a lot different just because Christy Alley had a certain air of of sexiness to her in the Wrath of Khan. Do you really think you wanted more sexiness? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is but, the, you're right, I, it would be different, but is that really what we wanted? No, I, I thought you were going to say she seemed be, a little more human. I, I think it would be even more awkward <laughs> okay. yeah, than, than the way that Robin Curtis plays yeah. it. So even though, uh, I think, as for, real quick, as a kid, I did not get uh, interpret that they had had sex. It yeah, just well, that was, but, that was intentional. Right, so the kids I, would I, like, get one thing out of it. Adults I knew what Ponfar was vaguely. I remember from the episode, but I didn't like specifically think of that. And uh, I thought she did. They did a good job of showing, essentially, like yeah, her talking him down. Uh, you know, connecting with him. Uh, you know, uh, was was how I interpreted yeah. it. Uh, and I thought she did a good job with the scene, even if yeah, it's not quite how Kirstie Alley would have done it. Uh, but in that case, I think it actually works better that they had Robin Curtis. Yeah, yeah. I think I think your point that uh, a little bit of emotional detachment might have <laughs> was probably good, so it didn't ski people out. Too much. Like, remember, Crispy like, Alley said she had a crush on what, Spock back when, yeah. when she watched the show as a kid. So. It, it just like, like just like her little like brief flirtation with Kirk in the turbo shaft mm-hmm. in the Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't know, like the way that she plays that. Where is is like kind of like the reserved cold chick, but like just like a slight bit of cock tease in there. The the she was the sexy librarian for a minute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like uh, I think that would have been really weird with the yeah. with teenage Spock on yes. Planet Genesis. But yeah. um, we let's we, let's get to David's death. Yeah the uh, the Shatner reaction. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one of my favorite bits of Shatner acting. I mean, some yeah. people hate it, but I, I think it's oh, great. Oh, really? I love what do, it. What do, do people just find it's too much? I, I, yeah, I've heard people complain that it's like Hammy Shat- yeah. Shatner overacting. I, I think I the line I, the line is a little, comes off as a little stilted. The Klingon bastards, you killed my son. But I, I love him like like not able to sit in the chair when he like right. falls in the He's in shock. He's like in yeah. shock. Uh, I remember that, I had trouble putting sentences together right after I saw 9-11. 
Like right yeah. the moment after it had, so you know, I I, I was talking a bit yeah. robot like. So I do, th- yeah, I do think people saying that like thinking that it's just innately unrealistic that someone might say something like that. People are too too different in their reactions to to make those kind of judgments. I think. Yeah. Um. I, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's some of Shatner's best acting. It feels it feels real to me. Yeah. Actually, now there's a couple moments in the movie where I think it does come off as a little bit too dry, and I kind of wish it had a little bit of that TOS style melodrama. Mm-hmm. That that whole like hostage execution sequence has like no music, and it's yeah, kind of it's kind of really weird for quiet. for Horner's score to be muted <laughs> like that. And I almost kind of think that maybe, maybe when Kirk has his reaction, maybe like the the music should have came in and hit hard or something. Oh, I, I like or, sometimes silent reactions. I, I think, think I don't think I think it's sometimes yeah. important. I don't think Shatner needed some music, but I do think the actual death might have. It feels weird. Yeah. yeah. without that music, you you don't know. what I mean, to, it, it feels real. You're watching this all play out in real time. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's what they're trying for is such brutal realism. There's but, not even a soundtrack. It's filmed a little more cinema verite style, but I do think that's what they were going for. And then we have uh, Kirk still manages to keep his composure and keep his shit together and outsmart the villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have the cool little switcheroo where they beam down to the planet oh, while the Klingons beam on. And it doesn't spoon feed you what they're doing. There's no scene where like they explain, we're going to set the self-destruct, we're going to secretly beam down when they beam aboard. You're just going to have to watch it and know enough about the Star Trek technology and, and piece together what they're doing. It's not, not anything too complicated, but it's weird that, that they don't spoon feed it to a general audience. I kind of like it the way that it unfolds. Yeah. Like, yeah, I do too. They honestly, they, the whole... Klingon beam aboard thing and like no one's talking but the computer, uh, is a great payback scene that reminds me, like tonally at least, of like the scene in Wrath of Khan where they get the prefix code, the mm-hmm. here it comes, yeah. uh, yeah. scene. Uh, it, it is, it's Phil, it's, it's a very different scene, and it's like, it does seem crazy that they sacrifice the Enterprise to just take out these guys, but in the moment it makes sense. What else are you gonna do? Yeah. yeah. It's, what else are you gonna do? And, uh, and yeah, like you said, they, the way they stage it is such that, I think you're watching it and you're probably starting to get it the first time you see it, but it doesn't, your mind doesn't crystallize that this is really gonna happen. Until Krug is like, get out of there! Oh, yeah. And yeah. that part always made me laugh as a kid. When the Klingons don't know what the co- the, 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 the ticking clock counting yeah. down on the I, screen see, I never is. saw that as funny. That, I thought it was Yeah, dramatic. that's a weird thing. I was me. excited. <laughs> that like, always made me... It's gonna go, it's gonna go, it's going! That, that would make me laugh hysterically yeah. when Krug is like, get out, get out of there! And then you see the Klingons start blowing up. But it, then it, <laughs> but then after that, it is sad when you do see like the Enterprise saucer on fire. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, so like, the ship being destroyed, sad. Klingons losing their lives, hysterical. Yes. <laughs> uh, that was that was kid fathery watching this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do feel the, the 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 explosions on the the bridge are pretty. Like it feels like righteous payback in an action movie. Yeah. They yeah. get blown to pieces. Then, uh, but then there's the reminder that the ship is going with it. So you get that pretty. Uh, pretty notable scene of like what looks like acid dissolving it or yeah, the end, yeah, yeah. whatever it is, and a I don't think anybody could have predicted that the whole saucer section would just detonate like that. Yeah, yeah. That was like Belloc's head. I, and I believe Scotty's <laughs> guide to the Enterprise says that yeah, that destruct sequence ejects all the antimatter pods yeah. and then detonates explosives scattered throughout all the <laughs> ship um, that have been carefully planted for that. All those exploding consoles—that's what they're there when for. they when they entered the <laughs> the self destruct codes they. Uh, reused the scene from uh, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield yes, yes. in the original series. And so they had the Admiral who wasn't captain of the ship entering the codes. They had che- 
Chekhov, who's first officer of Reliant, entering the codes. And then they had Scotty, who has been transferred to a different ship, but I guess his codes are still good. And yet Sulu uh, and Uhura, who were assigned to that ship, and Uhura well, or Sulu might have been the first officers, might have even been the first officers of that ship. They, they're they not there for this. <laughs> yeah, apparently like any three Starfleet officers can blow up. I'm sure yeah, I guess that so. miracle worker, Mr. Scott, <laughs> set it up just in case. Yeah, yeah. But part of his, uh, what did he say at the beginning of the movie? He's like, uh, the, auto- the automator. Yeah, the yeah. automator. He automated it. Yeah, he's... <laughs> I have a vital question for everybody. Did did, did, did people cry when the Enterprise I told you. I cried for days when the Enterprise died when I first saw this movie. For days I was bummed. I I didn't cry the first time I watched this, but I I, I do cry sometimes when I'm watching it now. I think think last night when I rewatched this, I cried a good bit. There's some great James Horner music and the, the, the kind of the swell of it all and as they watch it go down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you get that great line, what have I done, and what you always yeah. do, Jim. It's one of the many, yeah, yeah. when you turn death yeah. in, into a, a fighting, fighting chance, chance for life. Oh, yeah. That is one of the best, star, favorite Star Trek yeah. moments in all of Star Trek. One of the, probably me. the best line in this movie. Chris, yeah. tears or no? Oh, I'm probably misty-eyed. I don't okay. know if I had quite had the tears. Just checking. Yeah, yeah. That's, that counts, that counts. Uh, back in, back, I think I've mentioned this maybe in another podcast, but the, the role-playing game, uh, supplements my brother had, I think, for the FASA game, uh, for, I think for Trek 2 and 3, liberally sprinkled the chapter breaks with quotes from these, and they picked a lot of quotes like that, uh, iconic Kirk quotes and, uh, the McCoy, that McCoy-Kirk exchange there, uh, and, and I always thought that, to me, like, in a lot of ways, those really embodied Trek, but mm-hmm. it was kind of, Hammered home by this RPG supplement. <laughs> yes, yes. I will say that I, I like the idea of spending a whole movie to bring Spock back to life. That is, if you're going to do something like that and make it credible, you need to make it cost. You need to have the, the heroes need to suffer. There need to be sacrifices made. It needs to seem hard and tricky and, 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 and you need to, not it needs an to everyday be, thing. Yes, yeah. yes. If you're going to just do, and it's always dumb to bring somebody back to life after you kill them anyway, but if you have to do it, this is the way to do it. <laughs> um, and I, I think I applaud them for not just having him come back at the end of the first act. In a lot of ways, this movie is like the, the con hangover. And I love that because it makes Khan into even like more of the big badass yeah. when it, it takes uh, really the next two movies to recover yeah. From, yeah. from the damage yeah. he's inflicted. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, the, and you know, that's another reason why I don't, I don't really fault Krug too much in this movie for not living up to Khan because I, I never feel like that's his role in the movie. Yeah. But, um, I do love the, the big showdown with him and Kirk. Because it does feel like something out of the original series when a lot of episodes ended with Kirk getting in a fist fight with someone. <laughs> yes, and he actually gets to fight this guy unlike Khan. Yeah. Not getting to fight Khan. Exhilarating, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and I love I love a lot of the, the Krug lines here when uh what well, what you mentioned earlier about like not wanting to beam up the Vulcan and Right, right. Because you wish it or uh um uh perfect, then that's the way it shall be when Kirk tells yeah. them then we're both gonna die. Yep. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely an effort every time there was a point where you could have taken the more predictable route. They said, what can we do to make this, give this a little more punch, to make this a little more fresh? You Exhilarating, know, isn't it? It's not what you're expecting the villain to say. Yeah. You know? But, but this guy who, who redefines how Klingons will be played for ages <laughs> after this. 
Yeah. And and brings this, like, mad joy to the role of the villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sh- uh, if this has to be a level of the Star Trek fighting game when they make one, and they blowing up Genesis Planet. <laughs> um, but uh, I-, I love when he, like, catches Kirk's foot in a kick and flips him oh, over. Yeah. Or the, the yeah. stuntman's foot. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but look, it looks good. It's that's the important Kirk. thing. Is it's the still Kirk. Good. It may not be Shatner, but it is Kirk. Yeah. It's Kirk. Yeah. And they, they, they do, uh-huh. like... Uh, the the whole time, like he does feel like he's stronger than Kirk, so they don't they don't try to make Kirk like this this badass who can beat up like the strong Klingons. Kirk's just and, driven by rage, and uh, he he uh, kicks him in the groin. But after watching Discovery, I now know that that Krug had two dicks that got kicked by Kirk <laughs> instead of just one. You know what I uh, what I like about that dick kick, <laughs> which I don't say too often on the show, but not played for a joke. He just does it and it hurts. Yeah, yeah. and then the fight and keeps going it's like, because it's like they... a real fight. It's like yeah, a real yeah. street fight. Yeah, these yeah. Klingons are not messing around. Oh, real quick re- rewind of like about seriousness. You know when Styles is chasing him and he's like Kirk. You know he, he last communicate. He's like, if you do this, you know you'll never what? Never sit, sit in that in the chair, chair again. Chair again. Sit in the right after chair we again. had two movies all about how much Kirk needs to be in that chair and how much <laughs> yeah. he wants that more yeah. than anything. Yeah. But what I like about that is Kirk, and even though there is a lot of crowd pleasing scenes right before that, Kirk doesn't engage in banter with him. He just says like warp speed or whatever, and they just like yeah, bam. Mm-hmm. Out he of only there. does the banter here when it's tactical. Right. When, he, when he's trying to like talk shit to his enemy, you know yeah. he knows like, I got to get that ship. I need that guy to beam us up, or I need him to beam down here and fight me. Right. And uh, the whole time when Spock is like unconscious on the ground, face down, that must have been when the Spock face had aged to <laughs> Ethan Peck, and then later like a young Leonard Nimoy, like TOS era Leonard Nimoy. There must be some Zachary Quinto in there somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure those scenes are just on the cutting room floor somewhere. Yeah. Um, I, it, it is really good timing how they get off the planet and stop his aging right when he's lined up to contemporary Nimoy. It's also possible that it was just going to sync up with what the age of the body was at, at the time, too, and was always going to stop. Oh, yeah, that's point. possible. The novelization says he will die with the planet if he doesn't get away. But but the, that's not said in the movie. I don't but, think. Is it, then well, we we'd all die. They'd all die. Yeah. But, but, but well, Spock, Spock specifically, I think, would have continued to age and, yeah. and to eventual in eventual death. Fire would have started shooting out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Rocks would just pop out. <laughs> the trees would fall. <laughs> but then we, we do have the uh, the final scene on on planet Vulcan and the the ceremony there. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's a really good denouement. They they. After as much energy is packed into the kind of those last few scenes. By the way, the Genesis planet blowing up, the way they film it, like you don't actually see the full planet explosion, but you see what looks like a solar flare, like this massive Mm -hmm. or like lava ejection that would be like a thousand miles wide or something. Yeah, yes. And you're like, well, that's probably it. But I actually like the kind of slight understatement of just not doing the usual... Fan wang shot of an explosion. Yeah, yeah. We don't um, see Alder on. Yeah, off. it's so charged to just see this portion of it, and it just looks like it's just utterly detonating. Mm. Um, and but after that, I think it's kind of cool to have this quieter scene. That's you know where you kind of get to reflect on it. Uh, and, and McCoy is that when McCoy gets his scene about he's like, I don't think I can lose you again. Yeah. It's when they're on their way back to Vulcan when he yeah. does confess to Spock. And anyone who's like watched the original series, like you needed this moment. This mm. this. This exchange needed to happen between McCoy and Spock at some point. You need to know that beneath the kind of bitter words sometimes is some love. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, especially for casual viewers who might not be clued into that whole relationship. <laughs> he called him know. a bastard earlier. Yeah. It's like the only other time I can think of where McCoy like deliberately showed like affection and respect for Spock 
was in a mock time when Spock's like, hey, I need like two friends to come to my wedding. Oh, or right. whatever he says. And then and McCoy says, sir, it would be my honor. Right. Which is the only time I believe McCoy ever calls Spock sir. Interesting. <laughs> but, <clears throat> yeah, and then we, we get to see Sarek back on the planet. And I think uh, a lot of people forget this is only the second time we've seen Sarek. He really didn't appear in that this many... the cartoon. Uh, or the, uh, <laughs> the second time in live action that Sarek <laughs> shows up. He really didn't appear that much. You know, he was only yeah. in one episode in the original series, and then he appears... In some of the movies, and he's in two TNG episodes, and that was it of Mark Leonard as Sarek, but a very, cast, very uh, iconic role. Yeah, he's, he's like, so commanding, he cast a strong shadow over the movie in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much that they brought him back in in J.J. Trek or Kelvin Trek and, and, and in, in Discovery, Discovery too. They, yeah. they keep going back to him just because of that but, performance. But he has that cool line that his logic is uncertain where his son is, is concerned. That was awesome. So, which, you know, from just seeing the original series and I, the animated series, if you want to throw that in, and then this movie, it's really like the first time, like, they really confirm his love for his son. Yeah. Mm. No, I, I really like that because if you're up on on the character and Vulcans in general, you realize what a big deal it is for him to say that, mm-hmm. especially to these people. <laughs> so. yeah. I mean, he he, dis- he always disapproved of uh, Starfleet, um, and this is the first time you see him connect with Kirk on a, yeah. and those guys on a personal level. And they, and they, they acknowledge that more in Star Trek IV. We're going right. to talk about that next week. Mm-hmm. But yeah, does, does anyone else have any, like any thoughts on like the, like that ending of like when when Spock uh, is finally restored? And I think they handled it perfectly mm-hmm. as far as we didn't want him sitting up and tap dancing. We we, we, yeah. we it has to be light, it has to be delicate, it has to be eased in, and that's what we got. Yeah. He he doesn't even seem to know them. He just walks right by them, and then he turns around, and yeah. I just thought, what was it? He said he said your name is Jim or something. Yeah, well, yeah. He, he first. Um, for the first thing that comes to his mind is, uh, you have been, or I have been, always shall be your friend. And then the, I love how, like, the next thing he thinks is, like, ship out of danger. Yeah. You know, callbacks to Star Trek 2. Yeah. Although, yeah. like, that was still, like, his, like, his concern on, like, some level was, like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, like, I did save the ship, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's like, oh, yeah, your name is Jim, and that's when, that's when we know that he's back, and... George Takei does that really weird thing where like he like puts his, his hand on like Spock's chest and smiles out on him. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not you know, like I there's never, a protocol for these situations. I never there's no thought... social training for the dead coming back to life. Um, you know what I like? We talked about the family thing earlier. When he comes, when he's uh, trying to to you know pull it, pull things together after the ceremony, he, he kind of walks and faces each of them in turn, right? You know, and there is that sense of trying to reconnect with, like, a family, uh, because that's what they are for sure at that point. Um, but the way they all kind of light up when he says Jim and everything, and they all kind of, the movie kind of just pulls it's, back. Like, and you Horner just is see playing him. the TOS music. Right. He's it's playing the, it's like, a really Alexander beautiful Kurt scene. Score. Um, yeah, no, I, I think uh, it's I think it's pretty perfect. Um, and with it ending on, on the, the words, and the adventure continues, mm-hmm. I think at the time they were trying to connect that back to the motion picture, which ended on... And the human adventure is just beginning. Right. Because I, I think at the time they were thinking, like, this might be our last Star Trek movie. And so, you know, we're going to cap it off as, like, this nice little trilogy. Like the other Star franchise just did. Yeah. So, um, but I think that's all we got on Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Uh, we did have some some uh, audience feedback. Um Dave, do you, have, do you have anything in the subspace transmissions that we can we can share? Let's take a look. 
All right, so here we have one from uh, on fa- from Facebook from uh, Christian Bradley, and he writes, I like it. It was hard to try to follow up on the brilliance of the Wrath of Khan, but the search for Spock pulled it off. It's not as brilliant, but it's enjoyable, helps build on important Star Trek lore, and introduces new ships we love. On top of that, we get Christopher Lloyd as a Klingon. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, you know, the, the building on the Trek lore thing reminds me, it's, you know, these movies, you know, they're all connected, um, and they, they do have that really unique feel of, I mean, is there anything quite like this? I guess the original, like, Star Wars well, trilogy, yeah. but, um, what was it, what is it that's different about this? I mean, it's, I guess it's the fact that this is, like, one big particular story I'll all around the, the Genesis device. The, the difference is that you have, like, a TV guy... Coming yeah. from television, and so I think he was kind of more writing a show than making a series of individual movies. Mm. Interesting and that point. was like the Harv Bennett approach to it. Though it was still pretty archy for TV of that period. True, the TV yeah, that but... Harv Bennett did was probably pretty episodic, and you could rearrange the order of the episodes and hardly notice, you know. Mm-hmm. It's my guess. I haven't really looked at a lot of the shows he did, but I'm guessing that. Was the game. But I, I think he still kind of thought in terms of uh, you know setting things up, leaving hooks that we can pull yeah. onto later and, and stuff like that. Yeah, but which I I really enjoyed. I'd like to see more of that. I uh, like for Star Trek Into Darkness. I heard somebody suggest that they uh, I think it was confused Matthew that they should have had a um, a quest for Khan to get the blood. Khan escapes at the end. And, and that should have been the hook is Khan, we've got to find Khan to bring Kirk back to life. And I, that would have been amazing. And I would love to see more of these kind of hooky kind of endings to my movies. So, you know, a, couple, a movie that uh, is like really a part one of two. Yeah, stealthily. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I kind of like movies that have like a satisfaction in, in like seeing, seeing the end of it. But I mean, I also like The Empire Strikes Back, so. Well, if they were going to uh, copy uh, Wrath of Khan uh, stealthily, they could also stealth copy uh, Search for Spock yeah. as a Search for Kirk. Yeah. But but I guess, yeah, there they're, they were still figuring that franchise out. Yeah. I mean, I guess they were with this one, too, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the reason why I, I think I like this more than the Wrath of Khan is because it is so much more of what I want out of a Star Trek movie. We we really get to, to fill the, the size of, of Starfleet. We get to see all these cool ships. We get to do the exploration of a new planet. We get to do cool sci-fi spectacle, like like a planet exploding and, and two characters fighting like this this hellscape of Armageddon. Okay. We have uh, we have you know the, the Klingons are a threat in this at this time in this universe. So you know doing something as simple as like going over to this planet, you might have to deal with some Klingon assholes that show up. You know, all that stuff, all those elements tie together. Like, Sarek coming in using, like, like the, the Vulcan side of stuff. You like the world-building stuff, and this had more of that sense of the world of Star yeah, Trek, yeah. right? It doesn't have, like, the perfect script that the Wrath of Khan had. It doesn't have as many memorable uh, beats that, that occur. But The but, direction is honestly not as sharp. Yeah, it, it, mm. it's, uh, I, I wouldn't say amateurish, am, amateurish but no. I would say, like, more less, like, just, like, um, l- less expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I definitely think Rathacon is the better movie, but I just like this more for a Star Trek movie because it is it is closer to what I want from Star Trek. Your favorite Star Trek movie? I mean, I I go back and forth on them a lot. Like maybe I always grew up thinking four was my favorite. I really like six, and I do really like two. It, it's definitely like I said. Last week, it's just like all four of those. I, I just kind of want to think of like all of them as, as a, like a four-way tie for my favorite. Hmm. 
cheap, but I'll accept it. <laughs> but um, I think that's all we got, so we will go ahead and sign off. But we will be back next week to talk about Leonard Nimoy's second uh, Star Trek movie that he got to helm. Star Trek for The Voyage Home. So, uh, until then... Live long and prosper, y'all! Thank all of you so much for checking out this installment of Text Trek. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please be sure to like our YouTube videos and subscribe to our channel. Uh, Audio-only version of episodes are available at our website, www.text-trek.com. Uh, please check out our site, especially if you just want an audio-only podcast. Uh, we have that available for you. Y'all can also keep up with us online. You can follow us on Twitter, at TXTrek, or you can uh, check us out on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash text-trek. Uh, please, by all means, let us know what you think by dropping a comment anywhere you see fit. Uh, we definitely want to hear your feedback. Let us know what you liked and what you would like to see more of, what you would like to see differently going forward. If you want to email me directly, uh, go ahead. I can be reached at fatheryactual at text-trek.com. Thank all y'all again. Take care.